Best Book Bits podcast brings you Ryan Godfredson, a cutting-edge mental success coach, leadership consultant, trainer, and researcher. He helps improve organizations, leaders, teams, and employees by improving their mindsets. He's also the author of Success Mindsets, your keys to unlocking a greater success in your life, work, and leadership. Ryan, thanks for being on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on. I Man, I feel like, and we'll, we'll dive into this, I've been working a lot even on my mindsets and I enjoy helping others with theirs, but one of the things I realize more and more, especially when hearing your voice, is I need to work work on my accent more than no, I am on mindsets because you just yeah, sound brilliant. No, thank you. There's one thing you can't change, it's your accent, but uh, everything else you can, which we'll <laughs> get into. Now, I recently read your book, Success Mindsets, and I must say, yeah, great book. Uh, I really enjoy the content and the structure. We'll deep dive into some of the topics soon, but for my audience who don't know who you are, let's let's reverse a little bit and go back to your early years. Uh, where did you grow up and where did you go to school? Yeah, I grew up in uh, Utah, so and that was surely formative in, in my upbringing. If, uh, Utah is generally kind of a, a religious place, um, and that was, that was a part of my upbringing. I then attended Brigham Young University as an undergraduate where I studied business, and then from there I went to Indiana University to do my PhD in organizational behavior and human resources. Yeah, perfect. And uh, what did you do when you finished your PhD? What was your – did you um... – yeah, it was your first job or did you stay in school and become the professor? Um, how, how did it all sort of unpack after after your studies? Yeah, let me maybe um, even connect the dots a, a little bit because I, I, I'll commonly get asked, what, what led you to get into what you've gotten into? And, and it takes me back to high school. And I don't know how many high schools have this class. But when I was in high school, my high school had a class on sports psychology. And, and I ate it up. I was somebody who played sports. And for me, that was my favorite class. And I still remember the books that I had to read in the class. So we had to read Stephen R. Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I then read a leadership book by um, Pat Riley, another one by Mike Krzyzewski, and another one by Rick Majerus, all three of those basketball coaches. And I still remember those books. And I remember thinking as a high schooler, Man, if I could have a career where I could study leadership and write books like this, that would be my ideal career. But I had no clue that there was even a field of study that was out there. So fast forward a few years, and I was living in Boston at the time, and I met a Harvard Business School professor. And he says to me, uh, or and I ask him, what, what do you teach? And he says, organizational behavior. And I'm thinking, what is organizational behavior? So I ask him and he starts describing, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is sports psychology, but applied for business. And, and that's when I got turned on to organizational behavior. And then I, I, shortly thereafter, I enrolled at Brigham Young University and I decided, okay, I, I want to dive into this. And they've got a great PhD prep uh, track program, which sets you up to get into a doctoral program. And so that's what I did and and was there at Indiana University where I had the fortunate experience to study leadership. And uh, from there, uh, I transitioned. My my first job after that was at Cal State Fullerton. So I didn't know anything about Cal State Fullerton when I applied. The only reason why I applied because it was close to where my wife's dad lived at the time. And I show up to my first interview at a conference with Cal State Fullerton and they say, uh, 
what do you know about Cal State Fullerton? And I gave them probably the worst answer you could give. And I essentially said, honestly, I don't know anything about Cal State Fullerton. I did zero prep. I just thinking California is too expensive to live. And the first thing they said to me was, did you know that we have the second largest business school in the country? And my jaw drops thinking, oh my God, how have I never heard of you then? Right? So, so that's where I'm at now is I'm at Cal State Fullerton. Uh, I've uh, just recently um, was awarded tenure, which is great. Um, but my journey has been interesting at Cal State Fullerton because I was there for two years and, and then it just wasn't jiving with me. So I took a one year leave of absence and I did some consulting work with Gallup and, and that didn't end up working out. And there's a reason why those didn't work out. If you read my book, because I didn't necessarily have the best mindsets at the time. Uh, but after coming back to the university from Cal State Fullerton, I realized uh, I wanted to start my own consulting business. And so uh, since then, I've been been doing the uh, professorship uh, route, but then also the consulting route. So I'm fortunate to work with organizations all over the world to help them develop their leaders. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for un, uh, unpacking that. And yeah, I read the um, experience working for Gallup in the book and I don't think it was your mindset. I just think that uh, they pigeonholed you into a corner where you wanted to be more creative and do more things and, and the job title that you, you went for wasn't the actual role that you ended up doing. But anyway, we can talk about that later. Um, talk to me, what inspired you to pen the new book, uh, Success Mindsets? Where did that come from? Yeah, so it was um, before I left to go to Gallup. Um, well, and even after I came out of my PhD program, what I had learned doing my dissertation on leadership is that gave me the opportunity to study the last 70 years of leadership research. And what I observed from that is that the vast majority of that research is primarily focused on answering one question. And it's it's not an unimportant question, but I feel like it's short-sighted. And that question is, what do leaders need to do to be effective? And I think that's good. It's led to a lot of uh, good practical takeaways and the things that leaders need to do to be effective. But it, has, it didn't sit well with me because I see leadership as being much more about being than about doing. So I don't think leadership is something that we do. I think it's something that we become. And, and so when I came to Cal State Fullerton, I wanted to tap into the being element of leadership. And where I started that was I first was focused on the motives of leaders, recognizing that two different leaders could engage in the same behavior, but with, but with different motives. And what matters is not necessarily the behaviors, but the underlying moment, uh, motives. And so that's where I was doing research. And then I left to go to Gallup. When I came back to the university, I, I had a few months. I was like, okay, I'm going to revitalize this research. And, and I started to dive in and do a literate, literature review. And everything that I started to come across was all about mindsets. And, and I found it absolutely fascinating. And what I realized is that I was aware of Carol Dweck's book, Mindset, which focuses on fixed and growth mindsets. But what I realized is that there's... There's more than just fixed and growth mindsets. There's other mindsets that are out there. And, and so I started to do a deep dive in understanding what mindsets are out there. And, and even in the process, I'm learning what mindsets do I have? And I'm learning at that time that I don't have the most positive mindsets. And so that literature review ultimately fueled this book, Success Mindsets. And it, it's partly my, well, it's largely 
helping people understand that there's different sets of mindsets out there. My book focuses on four different sets of mindsets, but also in the process, I, I try to be authentic and, and personal and give even my own experiences in my efforts to shift my mindsets um, as I went through my yeah, journey. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, thanks for unpacking that. And yeah, mindset is massive. Some of the notes I took from that is, yeah, leadership is being, not doing. And, and you're right. Um, you might have two people doing the same behavior but from different motives it, it does make all the difference as well um yeah in the in the book we will do uh do go through mindsets but why do you believe that sort of knowing uh which mindset that you operate under will help you approach work and life differently yeah great question i one of the things that i i generally ask groups that i work with is i ask them what percentage of people think that they have really good mindsets and I don't know about you, but the answer that I generally get is most people believe that they have good mindsets. And, and that's justifiable because the mindsets that we have, because we've all got mindsets, but the mindsets we have have come about because of our life's experience. Life has taught us that these mindsets are good mindsets to have. But then another question is what percentage of people actually know the quality of their mindsets? And I don't think that there's very many people that do, partly because most people don't know what mindsets are out there and they don't have never come across a tool to be able to assess their mindsets. And, and so what I do in my work is I, I have a mindset framework focuses on four different sets of mindsets, which allows people to identify what mindsets are out there. I've got a mindset assessment that comes with the book. It's also free on my website at ryangotfordson.com. And people can get a report that gives them a score on the quality of their mindsets relative to over 25,000 other people. And so by helping people know what mindsets are out there, what mindsets they currently have, and identifying better mindsets to have, if that happens to be the case, it helps people to transform and change at a very foundational level, at that mindset level. Yeah, and we'll jump into um, how we discover it, which which you showed as well. But let's jump into the four types of mindsets. So in the book, you, you talk about um, a fixed mindset, which is negative, and growth, which is positive. Can you expand on some of the, the frameworks into mindsets? Yeah, in fact, let me give you an anecdote that I found really an interesting. It actually occurred just yesterday. I was on a coaching call with a CEO and the CEO was he was great to work with and, and he was being very vulnerable. And one of the things that he said, and this isn't the first time I've heard it from a CEO, but he says, I don't I don't let people know this, but at a foundational level, I'm a very insecure person. And, and what I, I, I need to be validated by others. I need to be recognized by others. And, and at a foundational level, what he is dealing with, and he's taken my mindset assessment, is he struggles with a fixed mindset. When people have a fixed mindset, their, their body is wired to want to look good. And, and the, the reason is, is because they inherently don't believe that they could change their talents, abilities, and intelligences. So if something doesn't come naturally to them, or if they fail at something, they interpret that as though they are a have-not, and they can't become a have. And so they're, they're usually a firm believer in innate strengths or traits that they have, that, that they have, if they're successful, I have certain traits 
that make me successful. People with the growth mindset, they don't see things that same way. They they believe they can change their talents, abilities, intelligence. And if they're successful, it's not because of the, the innate traits that they have. It's because of their hard work ethic, right? If they, if something doesn't come naturally to them, or if they, if they fail, that mean, that may mean that they're a have not right now, but that doesn't preclude them from becoming a have in the future. And so one of the things that we see is that those are the fixed mindset. They generally avoid challenges. And those are the growth mindset generally approach challenges. Um, and, And they see them as opportunities to learn and grow. So that's hopefully some clarity on the difference between fixed and growth. Yeah. Mindsets. And on the, um, in the book, you do a little graph there where negative on the left, uh, positive on the right, and we'll just go through them as well. So negative is, is fixed, having a closed mindset and being more, uh, preventative, uh, or prevention and then inward as well. Where on the opposite is true, where having a, a positive mindset is being more growth orientated, being more open, um, looking for promotion and, and looking outward as well. Would, would that be correct? Yep, you got it. And another way to think about this is, I mean, part of it is the labels negative and positive, but but the, the negative mindsets, one of the things we need to understand is they're justifiable and they're self-protective. And the positive mindsets, they're, they're less self-protective and more about adding value to others. So when we have a fixed mindset, we are protecting us from looking bad. We don't want to look bad. When we have a growth mindset, we don't care so much about looking bad. What we care about is learning and growing and performing and excelling. And so that fixed mindset is justifiable because who likes to look bad? But it's if we hold on to that too tightly, we'll never try new things or put ourselves outside of our comfort zone in an effort to learn. Another way to look at it as well, you can tell uh, people that are holding on to the past might have a negative mindset because that's fixed. The past is fixed. You can't do anything about it. Um, And that's where your character comes from as well. So a lot of people are carrying around this character in their head. They're playing a particular role that uh, they must maintain where the opposite is true, where if people are growth mindset, they're more in the future, thinking about their goals, thinking about their dreams, always becoming never there. So I sort of see myself as a growth mindset, always focused on the future, always looking at goals, always looking ahead, happy to look like the fool, but thinking, always thinking of growth, always thinking of challenges, always micro failure, macro success, um, always trying to do things that are out of my comfort zone as well. So yeah, I really liked how you, uh, you broke that down as well. And in the book, you talk about the power of labels as well. Yeah, I know you did touched on that as well. But yeah, assigning labels, you sort of had clarity, direction and, and power to you know, introspect about your current mindset and develop that success mindset. Do you want to add on anything about the power of labels? Yeah, just just to build off of what you said, because there's there's another phrase that I think other people have probably heard, and that is, you got to be able to name it to tame it. And I think that goes with mindsets, right? Unless you know that there's fixed mindsets out there or growth mindsets out there, you'll never be able to introspect about them and figure out where you're at and where you need to go. Um, So it's just, that's the power of labeling or put a name on this. If we can name it, then we can take. Yeah, and in the book, you um, you you go through sort of I like how how growth mindsets drive thinking, learning, and behavior. Can you touch on those three words, thinking, learning, and behavior? And I like how you you put those together and how we can um, explore that. So, can you talk a little bit about that? 
For sure. And there's a there's a research study that I talk about in the book, and I think it's probably just a, a, something we could chat about here to answer that question. What was interesting is the group of researchers, and this was actually head, head, headed by Carol Dweck, and they had individuals take a mindset assessment. And those that had a fixed mindset, they identified, and those that had a growth mindset, they identified. And then they gave them all the same task, which was eight easy questions and then four difficult questions. What they were doing is they were setting them all up for failure, and they wanted to see how would they, if they would respond differently to failure, depending upon whether they had a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. And so those are the fixed mindset. When they hit those, went through those eight easy questions, they were rather pleased with themselves. But as soon as they hit those four difficult questions, they became depressed. They started to mentally beat themselves up and they stopped applying themselves. They just started to guess at the questions. But those are the growth mindset. When they hit those hard questions, they didn't get depressed and they didn't beat themselves up. They actually started to encourage themselves. They would say things like, oh, I was, I was hoping this would be a challenge. And they continued to apply themselves. And so here's a circumstance where there's two different people or different people with facing the same situation, but with different mindsets. And they respond to it as if they're from completely different planets. And, and how they're responding to it, and we can see it now as a third-party observer, is that those with the growth mindset thought about this challenge and even failure in a way, in a more positive way. So they thought about it better. They're more likely to learn from the experience because they, they continually tried to invest themselves as opposed to give up. And then they behaved more effectively, right? Uh, once again, they, they continued to persevere despite the challenges, whereas those with a fixed mindset just kind of gave up. So I think that that's a study that summarizes the foundational power of our mindsets, that the mental lenses that we're wearing, how we see our world, um, shapes how we think, how we learn, and how we behave in our world. Yeah, yeah, Does that great. make sense? Is yeah, that, no, abso- that absolutely. That was good. And I like the little story in the book about the the New York bouncer who had an IQ of 195. Can you expand on that a little bit? That was a cool little story. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what book I riffed that example from. It might have been Atomic Habits or, or something like that or Peak. Um, but there's there's a gentleman who's um, kind of become well-known in in – discussions around a fixed mindset because he's a he has an IQ that is among the highest in the world. And and we generally think the smartest people are the most successful and and he's somebody that has hasn't really done much with his life yet. That isn't to say that he can't, but he's spent uh, the one of the smartest guys in the world has spent most of his career as a bouncer uh in New York. And and kind of some of the anecdotal research about him suggests that, look, here's a gentleman who's got maybe, you know, quite a bit of potential, uh, but he's reluctant to take on challenges that push him. Um, and, and it's that reluctancy that is connected to this fixed mindset that seems to be hindering his ability. You'd like to think that, gee, one of the smartest people in the world, that he's doing something that might land him a Nobel Prize in the future and he's just 
you know, not playing in that space. And it all comes back to, to mental lenses that he's carrying around. Yeah. And then on the other spectrum, um, where you jump into the book, you talk about discovering an open mindset and talk about Ray Dalio with his company, uh, Bridgewater Associates. And obviously I've read, uh, I know Ray, Ray's stuff in his book principles. He talks about the secret of radical open-mindedness. And for those who don't know what that is, radical open-mindedness combines always seeking radical truth, with possessing radical transparency. Can we explore that a little bit and talk about how that uh, correlates to, you know, discovering an open-mindedness mindset? Yeah, so good. So we're getting into the next set here between the closed mindset and open mindset. And that uh, Ray Dalio is such a fantastic example of this because he's somebody who drove his business to the ground in the early 80s. And he looks back in hindsight because of his closed mindset. And so when he reestablished his business, he said, I've got to do things differently. And it's got to be with, with, with an open mindset. And I think here's, here's one of the things that I feel like I'm, I'm learning. And it's a metaphor that really helps me understand this is that those with a closed mindset that are closed to the ideas and suggestions of others, they see their mind as a bucket and their bucket is full. Well, what happens if we pour something into a full bucket? Well, nothing gets absorbed. It just runs off the side. But what about those of the clo- uh, with an open mindset? Those with an open mindset, their bucket may be quite full. They may know a lot, but they leave room for the idea that they could be wrong. And we leave, when we leave room for the idea that we could be wrong, then we're willing to take in the ideas and, and suggestions of, of others. And so those with a closed mindset, they're generally focused on being right or being seen as right because they inherently believe that they are right. Those people who with an open mindset, because they believe that they can be wrong, they're not concerned about being right. They're concerned about finding truth and thinking optimally. And, and it puts them in a position of, and I, I love this term, it puts them in a position of intellectual humility. Uh, and it and it gives one the space to be able to question one's assumptions and attach themselves to better assumptions if they happen to come along. Yeah, that's interesting. I like how you said intellectual humility, and I, I think I carry that myself a little bit. And one of the goals of um, of knowledge is to become clear. It's not to be- obtain knowledge. It's it's for you to have peace of mind. And you know, we all know information subconsciously, but you know, at the goal is to become clear. And just to be, you know, open, um, in responding instead of reacting. And I like how that, that metaphor that you use with close and openness. But uh, going back to sort of your, um, your leadership and management um, studies as being a professor, um, have you seen managers and executives that uh, you work with discover better ways to lead others once they have switched their mindsets? Yeah, great question. So one one of the things that generally occurs when we, well, always occurs when we see leaders shift their mindsets is they 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 let go of things that they've been holding on to, right? For example, in this case of closed and open mindsets, they let go of the need to be right. And then they embrace the need to find truth and think optimally. And one of the one of the ways that this plays out for leaders and managers is that when we could let go of the need to be right and embrace the need to find truth and think optimally, those leaders operate differently. So, for example, the leader who needs to be right 
They'll surround themselves with yes men, people that always tell them how great they are. Those who want to find truth, they don't surround themselves with yes men. They surround themselves with people that are smarter than them as a way to help them think better about the challenges that they're facing. So that's one of the dynamics. Another dynamic is that those with a closed mindset, they're, they, a byproduct of that is they create a psychologically unsafe environment. So people don't feel comfortable speaking up or taking risk without fear of negative repercussion. It's really only the leaders that have an open mindset that create that environment of psychological safety. And what's so important about that is that in, in Google's massive research to develop, to identify what makes their top performing teams top performing, what they found is that the number one most important factor for that was psychological safety. And the only way we can have psychological safety is if the leaders and the team around an individual have an open mindset, or at least we believe that they do. You can also expand that into countries, you know, corporations and companies are just a small version of a country, if you think about it, and look at the world scene right now, and, you know, some countries you wouldn't want to be in because of the governance of that particular country, having leaders that are more authoritarian versus countries with a more of a democratic skew uh, where that psychological safety expands out from the company into the country or the community as well. Uh, so, yeah, I think what you're saying is 100% correct and I like how you, you put that as well. If a, if a, if a boss or if a, a management team or the higher end change their attitudes towards having people to have a psychological safety to be more open and transparent and radical feedback, yeah, that that's where you're going to get... Uh, you're going to get sort of the best ideas and the and, and the best sort of out of employees, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, going forward, I know you're yeah. a former consultant at Gallup, which we touched on as well. But um, where you help you help dozens of organisations improve, you know, the engagement of their employees. Uh, did you find there was one or two key things that all organisations had to do in order to change their ways? What what are some of the couple of things that you learned there? Yeah, this, and this was fascinating to me. So for those of people who may not be familiar with Gallup and what they do, they, one of their primary focuses is on employee engagement and being able to measure employee engagement within an organization. So Gallup kind of wants to be the thermometer on the room in an organization to see how kind of hot or cold that organization is in terms of its culture. And, and they've got an assessment that has 12 different items to assess employees' engagement. And this came about through a rigorous amount of research to identify what are the primary driving factors of engagement. So all 12 of these things are important. And some of those things, uh, just thinking of them off the top of my head, are uh, do I know what's expected of me at work? Do I have the necessary materials and equipment to do what I do best? Do I, um, do I get recognition every seven days? Do I have uh, colleagues that do high quality work? Do I have opportunities for development or have I had opportunities for development over the last 12 months? So those are some examples of some of these questions. And, and I knew about the, all of these questions. I knew about their value prior to coming to Gallup. But, but I also kind of had this, the thought is, okay, even though all 12 of these are important, I wonder if there's one or two that are more important than the other than driving an employee's engagement, their their psycho, their emotional connection to the work that they're doing. 
And, and what I found, I got kind of got my hands on as much data as I could, which was about 70,000 uh, different employees across um, somewhere around seven or nine different organizations. And, and what I found is that out of these 12, there are two that are the most important for driving employee engagement. The, the most important one was, and, and how Gallup scores these is on a scale of one to five. So one would be strongly disagree and five would be strongly agree. And what I found is that if an employee can give a five or strongly agree for my opinions count at work, which is very much connected to this idea of open-mindedness and psychological safety, but if an employee could give a five on that, 95% of those employees are engaged in their job. And this is in a database where Gallup has found that only 35% of employees in the United States are engaged. So what this means is that if I as an employee feel like my opinions count at work, then it's a slam dunk that I'll be engaged. Uh, so that's, that's the first takeaway. The second one was then, uh, I looked at it slightly differently. Um, and what I found is that if somebody gives a one through four, meaning they can't strongly agree to the question, does somebody care at, at work care about me as a person, only 12% of those employees are engaged. So, so what we're learning, and, and I think that these are connected. So what we're learning is that if people don't feel like they have a voice um, and they aren't cared about, they're not engaged. But, but here's how I think that they're connected is here's what I've learned is that when people feel like they have a voice, they feel valued, they feel cared about. And, and so I think ultimately, if an organization wants to accelerate or improve their employees engagement, they've got to create a space where their employees can be heard. Yeah, got it. Yeah, that's so makes complete sense. So the, the notes I took from that, yeah, um, make sure your uh, opinions count and care for people and, and basically making space for that to actually happen. And, and, you know, whether that be having quarterly meetings or monthly meetings or biweekly meetings where you get feedback from employees on the ground level to say, how can we do things better and just genuinely care. I, I think the biggest motive for organizations is just money and it's money, 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 money. And we forget about the human element. And at the end of the day, humans uh, are superior to money but you know we we use people and we spend money where we should be you know spending people and 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 use money or i think i've wrecked that quote but it's you know what i mean we 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 focus in too much on um the non-human element anyway moving forward um in the book also you talk about uh, i've got a question for you why do you challenge people to question whether the way they think is really the best way to think um can you touch on that yeah, so as we, as we talk about mindsets as a whole, our mindsets are really a byproduct of two, one of two things, and usually it's both. Uh, it's our prior life's experience, and it's our current culture. And, and both our life's experience and our current culture, they bring about either self-protection or in a way, self-liberation, which is more on the positive, with, with the positive mindsets here. And so 
as I mentioned earlier, most people, I don't think that they know the quality of their mindsets. It's just their life experience and current culture has told them that this is the best way to operate. In fact, I was on a workshop this morning and there was an employee that said to me, um, I can't, I have to promote safety compliance because whenever I talk about a safety culture, they don't understand it. And she wants to talk about a safety culture, which is a, a bigger, broader, more purposeful way of thinking about safety in an organization. And, and she just kind of the environment says, you can't speak that language here. And so her natural inclination is because there's not that psychological safety or open mindedness, then, then her natural inclination is just to kind of protect herself, pull her arms and her heads into her shell kind of like she's a turtle and just protect. I just want to now maintain my job and I'm going to promote compliance and I'm going to start stop promoting a, a, a psych or a, um, a safety culture. And, and I think that that's oftentimes what's, what's going on is we develop mindsets. If we've gone through, you know, challenging things in our past or our culture is currently challenging, we're going to turn and be self-protective. And that feels right to us. That feels good to us because that's a natural way of responding to difficulties. But here, the question that I always ask myself as I think about this turtle analogy is can we ever add value to the world around us if our head and our arms are in our shells? And it's impossible. We can't do it. And so the people who are, the, who are able to add value to the world around them are those who are willing to keep their heads and their arms out of their shells despite the turbulence in the world around them or even what they've been through in the past. And, and it's those people that we really look up to as, as being leaders that we want to follow. Great analogy. Yeah, awesome analogy with the turtle. Um, I like that one. I've never heard that uh, said before. And that segues into my next question to talk about, which is promotion and prevention mindsets, uh, which you talk about in the book. I think you pretty much summed that up. But also you talk about which captain are you, a variety of different analogies to describe the mindset. So ask yourself, you know, are you a passenger, which is prevention, or are you a driver of promotion in your life? Can you expand a little bit about uh, promotion and prevention mindsets? Yeah, so a prevention mindset is where we're primarily focused on not having problems. A promotion mindset is when we're focused on reaching a goal or a destination. So the analogy that I use that you refer to is, uh, is about a ship captain. If we're a prevention mindset, um, a captain with a prevention mindset, our primary focus is to not sink. We don't want any problems to occur. We don't want to rock the boat. As you can imagine this, if I'm this ship captain, I'm probably a micromanager of the crew. Right? I don't want people to, to do something that might rock the boat. <clears throat> and then if a storm comes on the horizon, what is the ship captain likely to do? Well, they're likely to turn and run from that storm as a way to stay safe. Um, but we got to ask themselves, is the direction that they run when they run from the storm, is that headed towards the destination that they originally set out for? And the reality is, is that probably not. Most of the time, no. A ship captain with a promotion mindset, it's not like they want to sink. Of course they don't want to sink, but what they are really focused on is the destination and making progress towards it. And so when the storm comes on the horizon, they don't instinctively run from it. They ask themselves, does this storm stand between where I am and where I want to go? 
And if the answer is yes, they prepare to take on the storms. They batten down the hatches and they muster the winds and the currents of the sea to be able to get to their destination. And, and so to me, the, the part of the mental picture that I always get, and I don't know if you'll resonate with this, I've got a couple of small kids, a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old, and uh, we've, we've watched the movie Moana. And, and if you've seen Moana, Moana's dad is, no, you can't leave the island, it's too dangerous. And he's got the prevention mindset, but then Moana's like, I need to leave the island. I'm being called out to the sea, to a bigger world, and that's actually where the solution to the problem that we're having exists. And so in order for us to get to the solution, I can't keep playing it safe. I've got to take the risk and go out beyond the breakers uh, to be able to, to resolve the, the issues that they were having on the island. And to me, that's, that's part of the mental in- image I always get when I think about the difference between prevention and promotion. I must markets. have watched that movie 100 times with my son who was addicted to it when I think he was one. So, yeah, I like how you put that. But I think it was the grandmother who was uh, encouraging her to – she wasn't holding her back and said, if you've got to go, you've got to go. So, uh, great analogy. Let's talk about your Moana experience on being 13 and going to Guatemala. Can you unpack that for us and how that led to you – having sort of an outward mindset where um, it started off a little bit negative, but it turned into something else. So unpack that story. 13 years old, going with your parents Christmas to Guatemala. Yeah. And in fact, I'm going to give you more depth than what I give in in this book. And it's some of the depth that I give in my upcoming book that's coming out in about six months from when we're recording this. Uh, So this will be fall of 2022 when it comes out. But um. I, I've been on a journey myself um, to, to improve and to become the best version of myself. And one of the things that I've learned as, I, as I've learned about all four of these sets of mindsets is that when I first learned about them, I was on the negative side of each of these. I had a fixed mindset, a closed mindset, a prevention mindset, and an inward mindset. As I've been working on my mindsets, I feel like I've been able to make the shift to growth, open, and promotion relatively easily. Um, I don't think mindset um, improvement is is necessarily easy, but it's easier than I think most people think. And I've been able to make really significant shifts there. The mindset set that I struggle with the most is the difference between an inward mindset and an outward mindset. And I've seen this throughout my life. And one of the things that I've done over the last year and a half is um, I've engaged in, in with a trauma therapist um, to, to help me in, in shifting this mindset. And one of the things that I've learned, and I didn't realize it, in fact, this is something that I think I kept buried as I wrote this book, Success, Success Mindsets, but I look at my childhood and I always saw that, I oh, I had a great childhood. My parents were always, they were always there, right? They went to every sporting event that I ever participated in. But as I've been engaging with my trauma therapist, one of the things that I've realized is that while my parents were always there for me physically, they were rarely there for me emotionally. And that as a child, I was really emotionally alone and it was up to me to meet my own emotional needs. And what this did for me is it, 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 it has wired me to have more of an inward mindset which means that I have a tendency to see, see myself as more important than others, and which causes me at times to see others more like objects, like they're an obstacle that gets in my way or an instrument to help me get where I want to go. 
And, and this is something that in some ways was wired into me at a very young age because I had to protect, I had to look after myself, at least emotionally. And, and so this was very pivotal. And how this played out, at least when I wrote the book Success Mindsets, is as a 13-year-old, I had the opportunity to go with my parents to Guatemala on a humanitarian mission. And as you might suspect, and even as I, you know, as I continue to get older, but I was, I was, I was also an only child that I was rather self-focused uh, as a child. And, and as a 13-year-old, and I was not looking forward to going to Guatemala you know, this was uncomfortable. We actually left on Christmas Day. I was giving up my Christmas to go on this trip. I, you know, I wasn't going to get gifts that year. And, and this, was, this was really, a, this was a challenge for me because I wasn't getting what I wanted. Um, and then, so we go to Guatemala. We take a 10-hour bus ride up into the mountains uh, in the middle of nowhere. And we're, we're put in a schoolhouse where we're going to be staying the next 10 days. And we're there to help um, a little community uh, do two things. So half of the group was doctors and dentists, and the other half of the group was working on a water project to, to bring the village a clean source of water. In fact, what they had found is about 60 to 70% of their children were dying because they were drinking from a contaminated well. And so it was our job to bring them um, some clean water. And that's the group that I worked with. Um, and so I spent 10 days uh, with a machete in the jungle serving a community. And I had, um, I don't know if I'll ever see it again, but at that point in time, uh, I, had, I saw more poverty in that 10 days than I've ever seen probably since then. And, and I used to complain. And in fact, I remember I brought a pair of pants with me that I loved and, and it, but it, well, I would say I kind of loved. They were my the best pair of pants, but I didn't like them because they were Adidas, and they weren't Nikes. I wanted Nikes, but my parents didn't want to splurge and buy me Nikes, so they bought me Adidas. And I remember being a little upset about that. But after that week, uh, that ten days in this village, um, we're leaving, and I felt compelled to give up my pants for the community. Like I had, I was compelled to almost give up everything because it was the first time I realized how much I really had. And, and almost, I, I, it was the first time I realized how self-absorbed I could be. Um, and I wouldn't say that that fixed me, but it, it was the first time I remember putting on more of the outward mindset, which is when we see others as being just as important as ourselves, which allows us to see them as people and to value them as such. And I think, when I first started that, that adventure, I didn't see others as people. I saw them as objects that were getting in my way. Um, but after I had spent 10 days in, in this community, um, it was such an eye-opening experience. And I, I saw people differently, I think, for the first time ever. Um, it's still something that I'm working on, but that was, that was my first taste, I feel like, of an outward mindset. Yeah, thanks for sharing. An amazing story. I mean, it's not, it's not every day that your parents take you to um, a, a country that's, and put you in a, a small village in the jungle with poverty and seeing real, real things in, in real life. 
it's so hidden from us, isn't it? That um, that if we just got out of our safety and you know, even instead of going on a holiday, went went to a, a, a I don't want to call them a poor country, but went to out of your comfort zone into you know the middle of the jungle and and really face reality how some people live, and then you have that appreciation for your own life, and that would definitely change your mindset as well. So yeah, thank you for sharing that story, and um, yeah, just to wrap up the podcast, um, talk about uh, you got a next book coming out in six months you say what's it about and um yeah what what's what's the next book about yeah if i'm honest with you i wish i would have written this next book before success mindsets uh but it's okay it's just been a part of my journey so the next book is all about um a concept called vertical development so there's what we've what we've learned and this comes out of the field of developmental psychology is that there's two ways to develop ourselves one way is horizontal development. It's adding new knowledge, skills, and competencies to what we have. This is most developmental efforts. When we think about our high school or our college classes, these are all about giving us knowledge, skills, and capabilities. And these are great because it helps us to do more. It's like adding an app onto an iPad. It broadens our functionality. But it is limited because when we put an app on an iPad, it doesn't necessarily improve how effectively that iPad operates. And so vertical development, that's what vertical development is all about. It's about not adding an app onto the iPad. It's upgrading our own internal operating system. And so the the first half of the book is all about what is vertical development. There's different levels of vertical development. And then it gives us a sense, okay, where am I in my vertical development journey and where do I need to go? So that's the first half of the book. The second half of the book is, okay, how do we actually level up? How do we vertically develop? And there's a variety of different approaches, but one of those approaches is by focusing on our mindsets. So one of the things that we've learned as we kind of wrap up this conversation is we've got four more negative mindsets, or I'm going to call them less cognitively and emotionally sophisticated. There's fixed, closed, prevention, and inward. And then we've got more cognitively and emotionally sophisticated mindsets, which are growth, open, promotion, and outward. And when we make this shift from the more negative mindsets to the more positive mindsets, that's actually an example of vertical development that's going on, is we're enhancing our ability to make meaning of our world in more cognitively and emotionally sophisticated ways. So so that's the next book. It's about vertical development and then uh, using mindsets as a way to harness that vertical development to upgrade our own internal operating system. Yeah, awesome. I look forward to coming out. Um, Yeah, thank you for uh, writing the fantastic book, Success Mindsets. Where can people sort of buy the book and and follow you as well? Where do you hang out socially uh, or do um, people should check out your website? So yeah, tell us where can people find you in the book? Fantastic. Yeah, you can buy, find the book in most major retailers. So usually for me, that's Amazon or Audible. Uh, so you can surely go to there. You can also go to my website, ryangotfordson.com. There's a bunch of freebies uh, that I have. If you happen to purchase my book, um, you could type in like a, a purchase code and then get a bunch of freebies there. So I'd love to connect with you on my website. But if you want to follow me on social media, I'm most active on LinkedIn and would love to connect with you Awesome. There. Ryan, thanks for being a, a fantastic guest on the Best Book Bits podcast. And to my audience, go out there, follow Ryan, uh, check him out on LinkedIn, check his website, buy his book. Um, it's a fantastic book, uh, different than any other personal development success book that, that I've read as well. And I've written one called Success in 50 Steps, and it was totally different. So yeah, thank you again, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. And thanks for being a guest.
Thank you for having me. And thank you for reading the book. I, I truly feel honored. It's no awesome, problem Mike. at all. I'll speak to you soon.